Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. sharing the bread and wine this morning, and I want to just preface that with um, reading a fantastic passage of scripture and just saying some things about it from Luke 24, and uh, we're going to begin at verse 13, and it's the story of the disciples walking on the Emmaus Road. Hands up if you're familiar with the story. Got a sort of bit of a clue what's in there. Um, it's a it's a well-known story. It's a really much-loved story. One, I, I read somebody who said it is one of the most powerful stories in the Bible, and certainly one of Luke's greatest achievements as a storyteller. And you might spot how he tells the story and the uh, some of the phrases that he that he uses to tell the story. Um, but it's also a really vital moment in the Gospels. And um, what we'll read in here is the, is the necessary ministry of Jesus to prepare the disciples for the next phase of things. So I hope I'll be able to bring that out. Um, so this is Luke 24 from verse 13, reading from the Holman translation. Now that same day, two of them... Uh, were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And together they were discussing everything that had taken place. While they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. And then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and they looked uh, discouraged. And the one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked them. Cheeky Jesus. What things? He asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb. And when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they'd seen a vision of, an angel, of angels who'd said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. And he said to them, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. 
And they came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. So they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? And that very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, seven miles back again. And they found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has certainly been raised and has appeared to Simon. And then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he'd made known to them, how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were saying these things, he stood, he himself stood among them. And he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and, and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see. Because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they could still not believe because of their joy and were amazed, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. And after worshipping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple complex, blessing God. It's a fabulous story, isn't it? And... Um, I'd like us to just unpack it a little bit this morning and, and see some things in here that are very relevant, pertinent, I believe. Um, God will speak to many of us very personally, very directly this morning. This story just starts, it just, just describes two of them. It's clearly not two of the 11 because they go back to the 11. It's just two of the other disciples. Uh, one of them, we, we discover his name is Cleopas. The other, we don't even get his name or maybe her name, we, we just don't even hear the name. The, these are two just very ordinary disciples, and um, they're, they're walking from Jerusalem, the city, on a seven-mile walk to a little village called Emmaus, which um, to this day, scholars are not quite sure where it was. It was an obscure place. These are two ordinary disciples on their way to a, a little, small, obscure, remote village, Nothing special about them. Nothing special about the village. 
But everything matters in this story. Every disciple matters. Every village matters. It matters that all of us, in all our villages, know, which is what he explains to them here, that the cross led to a crown, and the cross and the crown lead to a commission. I want to talk about the cross and the crown, and I want to talk about the meal and the mission, because they're all in here in this story for us. Let's just take it a little bit by bit. Verse 13. That same day, two of them were on, the way, on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Jesus himself came and began to walk alongside with them. Do you know... Um, it's quite possible that you don't even realize Jesus is walking with you. They didn't recognize him. Somebody came and walked with him. They, had, they just did not realize it was Jesus. And I feel in all our situations in life, some of us, are very, some of us know that Jesus is with us, but it's possible to be in a situation and, and not realize Jesus is walking with you in it. He is with you. He is already drawn near. He's already started to walk with you. Uh, and, and, you know, he, even if you'd say, well, I'm not aware of his presence, I'm not, I don't recognize that Jesus is with me, he, he's either with you or he'll come quickly if you ask him and walk with you. And then, and then of course, he begins to talk with them and he, he asks us some questions. What's this, uh, what's this dispute you're having? And and they say, well, well, you know, are you the only one in Jerusalem that hasn't heard about what's been happening? What an irony here. They think he's the only one who doesn't know what's going on. He's the only one that does know what's going on. And look how he asks these questions. What, what things are these? What things, what things are you talking What things are these? And, and of course, um, this leads him directly to address their sadness he addresses their sadness. And there's the killer line in there, isn't it? Verse 21. We were hoping. They were hoping. They'd been hoping something. But now doubt and discouragement, and disappointment and dejection had set in. It seems that Jesus has failed to meet their expectations. I'm not going to ask you to indicate if this is true for you, but I wonder whether you've ever thought that maybe Jesus hasn't met your expectations. We were hoping. We were hoping he'd be the redeemer. We know he is. We sung about it this morning, but, but you know, there's nothing more sickening than hope deferred. Proverbs 13 says, hope that's deferred, hope that doesn't materialize, hope that gets dashed, dreams that get shattered, um, ideals that don't work out, those things can make the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Lost hope's a terrible thing. But Jesus um, can address it. 
And, it, and if that is true for you this morning, Jesus certainly wants to address that for you at the table this morning. How does he address their hope? Well, he reminds them of the words that the prophets spoke. They say it's, it's about Jesus. It's, we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it's now the third day. You know, that Luke is using words that, that tell us that they should have known this third day was significant. This is Easter Sunday, by the way, this, this day. This is the Sunday. And, and um, moreover, besides all this, and moreover, and, and it's just worse and worse. And, um, and this is Jesus' response. How unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus addresses their hope. I mean, he could just sort of reveal himself there and then. It's me, I'm alive. But he, but he takes them back to the word. He wants them to believe on the basis of what the prophets spoke. So he takes them back to the prophets. And, and didn't, didn't the prophets say that the Messiah had to suffer? And didn't the prophets say that he would enter his glory? How unwise, how, how slow you are. I don't think he's rebuking them, but, but he's longing for them to believe, it says, believe in their hearts. And that's often the challenge for us, isn't it? It's a big deal to believe what the prophets have said. It can be a big deal to believe prophetic promises. It can be a big deal to consider what God has spoken over your life. And if your current circumstances and your current situation don't look like the thing that God has spoken, you have to weigh those two things up and decide which in your heart you're going to believe. Am I going to believe what the prophetic promises have told me, have told us, or will I believe what I'm currently seeing? Am I going to put my trust in my current reality or in the future hope? And Jesus, Jesus wants to, we'll come back to this, he wants to train them and, and convince them to believe what the word says. The prophets spoke it, guys. Why, why so slow? The prophets said that Jesus had to suffer these things but would enter his glory. You see, these, these two and they represent others, are stuck at the cross. They haven't seen the crown. We have to have them both, don't we? If we get stuck at the cross, the things he had to suffer, but haven't seen that he also has now entered his glory and worn his crown. So here's the big deal. Will we believe? Will they believe the prophetic promises? Will they outweigh what their present reality is saying to them. We had hoped. We'd hoped he was the one. We were hoping he was the one. I think this morning, and, and this will apply to some people, whatever disappointments or disillusionments, whatever real, awful losses we may have suffered, Loss of a loved one, loss of a spouse, loss of a marriage, loss of a job, loss of a home, loss of children, loss of health. Whatever we may be disappointed with, disillusioned with, dejected with, he knows what's happened. 
And he wants to assure us today, listen carefully, it can end well. It can end well. Then it goes on to say this in verse 27. This is an amazing statement. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I wonder if, the, I wonder if somebody could just shout out that verse from another translation. What does it say in the NIV? Verse 27. Uh, sorry, verse 20. Uh, yeah, 27. Hang on, we've got stereo, stereo shout-outs. <laughs> Would you want to just stand to your feet, Mrs. Lyon, and um, in, in, your, in your loudest voice, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Okay. It's a little bit like that. Well, it's better than um, Philip with the Ethiopian. You think, I'd love to have been in that Bible study. What about the New Living Translation? What does that say? <laughs> this is great. Okay. We'll go for the one on this side this time. Who, who was that shouting out? Okay, Jess. Explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Isn't that fantastic? That has to be our, 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 the lens that we read all the scriptures. They're all about Jesus. Um, maybe, maybe it was something like this, that, that wherever you went through all the scriptures, Moses, the prophets, it talks about the Psalms later on, we'll come to that. Wherever you read in all those Old Testament scriptures, all of the Old Testament, all points to Jesus. Because the awful, catastrophic effects of sin are evident all the way through the Old Testament. But the passionate and relentless love of God is evident all the way through the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament scriptures all must point to Jesus who can fix this, who can enable it to end well. He interprets everything for them about himself. He doesn't prove his resurrection by pointing to himself. He appeals to the scriptures. He wants them to see it all from the scriptures. He wants them to understand that the cross was inevitable. He wants them to understand that the crown was inevitable, that God would deal with sin, would triumph over evil, that his purpose would prevail. So, so this seven-mile journey, how long would that take? Two, a couple of hours? So this, this two to depends how... Janet probably take about an hour. Um, Richard, Richard Jones would run it in about 10 minutes. But most of us common folk, it's a two to three hour journey, isn't it? Four or five hour journey. Walking side by, can you imagine those two or three hours walking side by side with Jesus as he takes you, and you still don't know who he is, as he takes you through all the scriptures talks about himself, or talks about, I don't know how he did it, in the third person. Here's the thing, folks. Only Jesus can interpret your life for you. Only Jesus can interpret your situation for you. 
Jesus interpreted everything for them. Only Jesus can do that. And we mustn't look to others or to uh, other, other sources to interpret the things that only Jesus can interpret. We have to see everything through him. Let Jesus be, in the, be the interpretation of our lives. Let him be the one through whom we understand everything. Then verse 28, they came to the village near where they were going, and he, he gave the impression he was going further, but they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. And by the way, um, that, was, that was true, but then later on, after the meal, then they go back to Jerusalem. They don't care now about bandits on the road or darkness or whatever. What, you know, whatever. It, was due, it was time to stop walking, but something happens later on that impels them to go back again, back down this seven-mile this seven, I bet that was a quick journey. First of all, he comes and walks with them. But now they urge him to stay with them. And not only is he walking now, he's staying with them. He went in to stay with them. Just what, simply want to say, if you ask him, he will stay. And maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've, you've known him walk with you at times and you've, maybe you've walked away, maybe... Maybe things have been up and down, in and out, but right now, just to know, if you ask him to stay, he will stay. It can end well. And he stays with them. And then verse 30 says, it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread. Remember what we were saying a couple of weeks ago? He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them, and suddenly they're seeing this pattern. They saw it when he fed the 5,000. They saw it when he fed the 4,000. They saw it, uh, or some of the, the 12 had seen this at the Last Supper, and their eyes are opened, and they recognize him. Before they were prevented from seeing him, it goes on to say, then he disappeared from their sight. But then they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us? while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures? Now it makes sense. And that very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those with them gathered together, and they said, the Lord has certainly been, they said, the Lord has certainly been raised and has appeared to Simon. And they began to explain what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Their eyes are opened. This can be your experience this morning and mine that my eyes can be opened at the table, at the breaking of the bread. As Jesus took and blessed and broke and gave. Do you know, Jesus, Jesus has set this event up as a regular rendezvous with us. Luke, of all the gospel writers, tells us over and over again that Jesus loved to have meals with his disciples. Even at the end of this story, there's a, there's a fish meal. It's like a, a, a second last supper just before he ascends. He eats the boiled fish. But Jesus loves to have meals with his people. And he said, whenever you do this, remember me, call me to mind. It's like this is our rendezvous with Jesus. I believe he's, knowing that we would do this this morning, he's really been looking forward to meeting us at the table. Amen. I sometimes think, the presence, of, the presence of Jesus comes in so many ways. You know, the, we know that uh, the, 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 the Godhead is omnipresent. So we know he's everywhere. 
And then when I meet my dear friend Jean, and she meets me, and Christ lives in her, and Christ lives in me. There's, there's another presence of Jesus that comes because he lives in me and I meet with others in whom he lives. He said, where two or three of you are gathered, I, I'm in the midst of you. There, there's his omnipresence, there's his inner presence, there's his, his gathering presence. And there's a, then there's another dimension of his presence at the table. It's not just that he's everywhere. It's not just that he lives in me. It's not just that when I'm with Chris and Ellie, he's, he's in the midst of us. But he also meets us, particularly at the table. This is his rendezvous with us this morning. And he certainly wants to, to meet us. Then he invites them, him, them to touch him. He wants them to believe based on the word. He wants us to believe the prophetic promise. He wants us... He wants us to know he's alive because we've, we've read and we believe and this revelation has come to us. And that's right. But you know, um, he does offer another level of proof if we need it. Touch me. It's like Thomas, um, Thomas couldn't believe based on what the others told him. And uh, Jesus doesn't scold him for that. He says, that's fine. Touch me. Feel the wounds. I, I feel there's an invitation from the Lord this morning. Come and touch me. I think the phrase is, touch me and see. Reach to him this morning. Touch me and see. He won't disappoint. He will not disappoint this morning. And then um, verse 44 says this. He, um, he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Isn't that fantastic? You think, I often think, how did Peter get from where he was to being able to write that epistle? Well, here's the answer. Jesus opened his mind to understand things. If, you, um, if you'd love to understand the scriptures more, that'd be a great prayer, wouldn't it? Yeah. Lord, would you open my mind? You see, first of all, he's opened their eyes. And then um, he's opened their hearts. And they say, didn't our hearts, weren't they on fire? And now he opens their minds. He, he, Jesus opens us up totally. Opens us up. Eyes, hearts, minds. He wants us to understand and give us revelation. And then he commissions them. Verse 48, he says, uh, sorry, let me just, 46. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Here we go. The cross and the crown led them to this commission. Uh, if I could put it this way, the meal that they've just, ex they've just experienced with them has, has led them now to this mission. He commissions them, and, and, and they're to share the fact that Jesus has suffered and risen, and, and they're to be witnesses of these things in all the nations. He suffered on the cross, he's risen and he's crowned, and now be witnesses of these things. 
And he says, by the way, um, I'm not going to send you ill-equipped. Wait in the city till you've been empowered from on high, till you've been clothed with power. It'd be great this morning if, those, if there are people here and you've never experienced the empowering of the baptism of the Spirit. We would love to pray for you this morning. Because the Lord certainly wants to send us from this table to be witnesses in all the nations that Jesus has risen from the dead and wears a crown and is coming back. More about that later. And then after all that, he ascends into heaven. And you just get this sense he's done everything necessary now. He can go. His earthly ministry is complete in every respect. He's beaten sin. He's conquered sickness. He's cast out demons. The disciples have been transformed from dejected and and without hope to being filled with joy and certain that he's alive. He's promised them power. He's commissioned them. He's done everything necessary to enable him to ascend to heaven and leave them to it. He knows now it will end well. He didn't leave a big church behind. There were less less people on the day of Pentecost than in this room. But the 12 foundations and the 120 that were filled with the Spirit had everything they needed to get the job done. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.